This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 506. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Sean Sobers, CFO of Quantena Communications, a supplier of high-performance Wi-Fi solutions. Just hours ago, Quantena announced that the acquisition of Quantana by On Semiconductor was complete. You will hear Sean mention that M&A chapter near the end of this episode recorded only 30 days ago or so. It seems as if it might have been a very opportune time to have Sean look back and share his finance career journey with us and reflect on that momentous IPO back in 2016 that Sean parachuted into during the roadshow and advanced forward, opening a new chapter of growth for Quantana. We begin after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. experiences are that you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? I think there's 
I mean, some, uh, some obvious ones. I, you know, I spent the first part of my career in KPMG as an auditor. And I think that always preps you up for a vast array of things. I got exposed to, you know, technology companies, governments, to companies that manufactured goods. So I think that was just a good basis. And then I think as I evolved, you know, my finance career, I was able to migrate from kind of your traditional accounting role in the U.S. to I spent two years in the U.K., um, and that gave me a view and a perspective on, you know, how business is different and cultures are different and how to bring that um, back to the U.S. when I came back. So that's kind of two. And then I think there's a, a kind of a role when you transition out of pure accounting. I moved into customer or sales finance where I got to deal with the sales force um, and customers directly to help you know, kind of achieve the win-win goals for both us as a company and as the customer. And then lastly, I think as you evolve um, through your finance career is you transition, or at least in my view, I transition more to the planning side and, and then into investor relations. And those are things that kind of I felt as building blocks as I was going through my career, having left KPMG, um, worked at a 200-person company called Documentum, and then ended up at a 30-plus-thousand-person you know, company as EMC. And so I think it was a really interesting transition um, and learned along the way as I went through it. Can I just ask you a quick uh, question about going abroad, a decision that many finance people, uh, they, they have this opportunity to go abroad. Obviously, there's a lot involved there. Um, you did it for two years. Uh, would you have liked to have done it longer, or was that the right time? And what I understand from time to time, especially in high tech, you might have felt a little isolated. I don't know that, but what would you share with us in terms of your experience abroad? Yeah, well, I think there's some unique things there. I, I moved um, with a 10-week-old baby, and so there was a, a whole level of different challenges, and I had a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter at the time. So just put that into perspective on, on family challenges, so it made it interesting. Um, and, and I think looking back on it today, I would love to have spent more time on it, but I also moved back at the right time from, you know, from a family perspective and the opportunity for a new job when it came back to the U.S. in the same company in a larger role. But I, I also think your, your, your comments on isolation ring true at times because there's certain times, you know, of the year and or day that you can't get your connection with HQ. And then the part that was a little interesting for my involvement is the person who sent me to Europe um, our CFO at the time basically moved on to a new role about six months into my stint. And I was like, okay, are you going to leave me here alone? Am I going to be able to get back? Are you guys going to have my best interests in mind? And so, but I was lucky enough, and, you know, this person actually, um, you guys probably know who he is, is Mark Garrett, who was the CFO at Adobe. He ended up coming back to the same company, Documentum at the time, and returning as CFO, and I got to work again for him. So kind of a funny and interesting story, but you're right, there's a little bit of isolation, but it forces you into being independent and making those decisions without waiting for, you know, headquarters to wake up. Now, curious, uh, did you uh, arrive at Quantena? as the CFO? I did, in a, and I came here about three to four months before we went public. So it was a, <laughs> definitely drinking from the fire hose like you normally do with starting a new job. But it also turned into you had to understand all this information because we're going to go out on an IPO roadshow, and you, Sean, is going to have to pitch this out with our CEO. So you uh, yeah, power. You parachute in for the road show. The, uh, the fire hose metaphor is one we've heard. We've heard uh, jumping on to a moving vehicle. 
just just curious. Now, was there a, a recruiter involved in bringing you on board? There was a recruiter involved, and strangely enough, the the company I left, Cadence. Um, the, the CEO of Cadence was on the board at Quantana. So you can see there's a little bit of a connection um, on, on that. So I, I knew a little bit about the company as well coming in. But it is hard to, you know, essentially, like you said, jump into a moving vehicle. you got to time it just right or it could be very painful. So tell us about Quantana and what was the opportunity? Clearly on the eve of going public it is exciting, but what's the offering? What excited you about this? Yeah, so I think, you know, other than the role itself, which is, you know, really interesting and exciting just across the board, but the company itself was, was doing something that I think nobody else is or was doing at the time. And so offering, you know, Wi-Fi technology or Wi-Fi solutions that, offer the highest performance out there. And certainly at the time, you know, we went public, you know, the simple things like the speed at which data can transfer and the reach and the, you know, the distance that you can get connections was better than any competitor um, by far, in some cases by 5X. And so it was a really easy story at first to understand. And then in turn, as I understood, it was easy to turn around and explain it um, to outsiders, to investors, to, you know, people who are hiring, to people who just want to understand the business. So I think that's one of the exciting things that is related to about Quantana. And, again, we were small, growing revenue at, you know, 35-plus percent kind of on an annual basis, um, you know, leading into the IPO. When you arrive, what are your priorities? Obviously, they're tied to the IPO, but what are your priorities as a finance leader for that first uh, year, really? Yeah, so I think it's, there's, there's a couple things. One, I'm a big believer in, in learning the business before you react. But since there was a short window between the time I started and the IPO, I needed to learn the business in a way that was deep enough to explain it. But I also needed to learn and understand the staff that already existed to understand are they going to be the right staff um, as we progress into being a public company. Because there's a very big difference between, I think, a you know, a, a pretty good team that's pre-public to a team that's going to be a great team as a public company team for the finance organization. Now, did you, did you immediately make changes or did you wait until after the IPO? I didn't make changes immediately, but right around IPO time, you know, probably within a month or so, made some changes where some people left the organization and made some changes where we had some kind of moving around of who sat in what chair. So there were some differences there. And then I think the, the evolution from there was, you know, how do we expand and fill uh, roles that we just didn't need or roles that we didn't need as badly until we became public. And a simple one to think about is, you know, we, we hired an investor relations director, a guy who was a former sales side guy. So that was you were able to bring in that, kind of dealing with the investor relationship, bringing that in-house is really important. So tell us about what are the, the metrics that you spend a lot of time thinking about and uh, have to communicate with those investors frequently, no doubt. What would you tell us? Yeah, you know, I mean, outside of the, the simple metrics, you know, your normal financial statements, revenue, gross margin, OPEX, CSO, DPS, all that, I think the one thing that we look at internally that we don't share externally um, is bookings. And so we can track bookings daily, weekly, um, know when the bookings are going to become revenue. And to me, those are the most important because it's really giving you a view for what revenue is going to be next quarter or what revenue is going to be the quarter after that. And that's, that's kind of the quintessential view. 
I think the other metric or, or data item that we look at is, you know, where is our customer on their rollout of the product? So we sell to um, companies who actually sell in turn to build a product for service providers, and the service provider products can last for a lifetime of maybe three to six years. So you want to understand where are they on the cycle of that product because it helps with predictability and, and the ability to forecast and guide. Now, we've been asking uh, finance leaders about non-financial metrics, and frequently they'll, they'll mention the net promoter score to us, but uh, what about non-financial metrics for Quintana? You know, it, it's, it's harder for me to put a finger on it. Sometimes it's, it's – I do a lot with body language and, and talking to the sales, for, sales force, talking to my staff, trying to get an understanding of, you know, what they think is coming, where they're headed, how excited they are. So, you know, in a, a non-financial way and in a non-metric way, I'm looking at, um, you know, my confidence or the confidence, let's say, of our own sales leader, the sales team down below them. And so I do a little bit of that um, as we progress. And one of my ideals is to not just sit in my office, not just sit at headquarters, but to get out to the offices and talk to the people locally. And it gives me a big view on or a better view on, you know, what's, the, what's going on in our China office or our Taiwan office or our Russia office and how are sales going in there, how is the financing there. So it, it's not really a metric. It's more of a kind of a body language read. I want to ask you or touch on uh, reporting with you. Is there any, anything changing in terms of how you uh, internally produce those reports and put numbers out there into the organization? Well, I think there's the – I mean, to me, there's the obvious one from being a smaller company to a growing smaller company, let's call it. So we're still only about 400-plus people, so we're not large. Um, but we've gone from what I would say is completely manual to very much automated with the SaaS systems that we use. Um, and, and generally, I'm a big believer in full automation, and you want to give that turnkey kind of data to my customers internally, so it could be the head of sales, could be head of R&D, could be our CEO, and putting, you know, dashboards and the ability for them to see what's going on is really important. And you see a big evolution towards that in my time here at Quantana. And the same thing happened when I was at Cadence and EMC previously. I found what one organization calls a dashboard, another has some other internal label that they've stuck on it. And it seems, too, that these things are always uh, being reconfigured in some way, or would you say, no, it's, it remains the same pretty much, but there are certain numbers that we want to uh, sort of raise the profile of. What would you tell us about the, the dashboard and what you're trying to make visible? I mean, I think, I think the dashboard is evolving for us. I mean, it started out with these are these key things that we want, and they weren't even on a dashboard. So now, you know, we have bookings, we have um, where shipments are, we have the forecast from sales, we also have the forecast from operations. Um, so you have kind of different views to where that is. And then you have, you know, whether you're tracking OPEX or hiring or turnover. What I find now is that the dashboard, if you're not careful, becomes so many dials you can't read any one thing. So we try to focus on what are the four or five most important things to share and then you can go click down and get deeper into other pieces of information. And the ideal way to do that is, is self-service. And, you know, even to be fair on our side, we have more ways to go on that side to, to get to a self-service piece. We still have some questions come in that we have to answer that people can't get access on their own. 
I want to ask our finance strategic moment question, which is really our signature question. It doesn't have to be about your experience at Quantana. You can pluck something out during the course of your career if you'd like, uh, but it's where you had a moment of strategic insight along the way as a finance leader, a finance executive. You saw something, identified a risk, an opportunity, whatever it might have been, and you responded to it or you clued uh, the organization in and the organization responded. Anything come to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, it definitely does, and I, I'm actually purposely going to leave the name of the company out because it'll <laughs> give you maybe a little too too much insight on what was happening at the time. But one of the things that, as we were going through the planning process, and it, and it always works this way that I see in planning, is everybody in their individual organization is asking for money, and everybody thinks it's the most important. One of the things I quickly realized that we had no measurement on, you know, why it was important, what, what was the ROI going to be for that investment, and then I think what actually became a little more known and what I would say is a little more alarming is the last five years we've been doing these, you know, investments, the ROI was never set, never measured. So we established in, in a business review kind of on a quarterly basis and an annual basis is basically if you're going to ask for, for funding, you have to create an ROI, it has to be approved by finance, and then you're going to be graded as we go quarter to quarter and year over year of did you hit your target. And so, lo and behold, when we went through this process, it was interesting because people would set up an ROI target, and they'd go through the whole year missing it massively. Or there'd be people that set it, and they beat it pretty significantly. So they, a couple things, they needed more help um, so they could set their ROI. But more importantly than that is you could start to figure out, you know, who was doing what and who was more accurate in their ability to forecast ROI, and then what was the better return. And that's where you'd end up investing a little more dollars and. In the case that I'm talking about, we actually had um, strategic changes of investments and where we thought something was great and it wasn't, and this included acquisitions where we acquired a company that we didn't think was going to be very helpful and we thought for sure it wasn't very financially um, advantageous. And once we got deep into measuring it, it was probably the most profitable business unit that we had. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're going to jump now to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and advise future finance leaders. So what is it today that's exciting you about finance and business? Not what it was 10 years ago, but what is it today that you, you see out there that's exciting you about finance and business? I think the evolution of the CFO role is, has been pretty significant, where I think 
it's much more common now that they're part of the business, they're deep understanding in the business, they participate, and that's the way, you know, for me it's always been. I want to be involved with sales meetings, I want to meet the customers, I want to go to our offices, I want to understand our business. So this completely seems um, the way things are now with the CFO role or the finance role, and I think it goes deeper than the CFO. I mean, as controller or head of finance, you can do the exact same thing. So that makes it much more exciting than being your traditional, we count count it after it's done kind of finance person. We always like to ask this, and, and we touched on this earlier with you, of course, when you arrived at Quantana and you step into the CFO role for the first time, uh, you, you're months away from an IPO, clearly, but... Uh, we always say, what is that piece of advice when you have all the responsibility for the first time? What is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you at that place in time? Anything come to mind when I, as you look back and you think about it, if so, only someone had told me this? Maybe it's not that straightforward, but it's a fun question to ask. What would you share? <laughs> Yeah, well, I can think of two things. That, when, how I should share these, I'm questioning my own self now. But one is, in the early stages, really assess what you're investing in the administrative side of the business because it's often missed and forgotten at a private company. And so once you go public, you're measured on every incremental dollar you spend. But if you invested a little more when you were private, life would have been a lot easier. So that's one. The other side of it, and this is no offense to my bankers who might be listening to this, is <laughs> your bankers give you tons of advice. You don't need to take every piece of advice that they have because later on you find out that it may be good for them, may not be great for you. Um, and I'll leave that one as generic as possible because I'm sure I'll see all these guys and they'll beat me up later for that one. Now, at Cadence, uh, I, I, I think you were involved in investor relations as well. That was a publicly held company, I, I believe. And is that where you got familiar with the whole investor side of the business? Or did it happen earlier, really? Yeah, you know, I, I actually did a very small bit of investor relations when I was at Polycom and then at Documentum. Um, but the vast majority of it was at Cadence. And I, and I was lucky enough to be mentored by a CFO that said, hey, what do you want to do five years from now? And for me, it was I want to be a CFO. And he's like, look, this is the one area you need to work on. And you can get super deep here if you want. You know, do conferences, do road shows, come with me, and then you'll do it on your own. And and um, Jeff Rebar, who was the CFO at Cadence at that time, basically allowed me to do all of that. And it was just a, a great, interesting experience, fun experience. And I was able to lead that into Quantena to the extent of on the IPO Roadshow, I was able to walk into meetings knowing, you know, buy-side investors who were holders of Cadence who already had a relationship with. And so that helped a lot. Okay. So this is more of a personal question we'd like to ask. It's about your daily routine, or maybe it's just a habit that you have, a personal one that you think in some ways may have contributed to your professional success. Anything come to mind when I ask for a personal habit or part of your routine that you think has helped you along the way? Yeah, I think there's two things, and it, it happened the very first thing when I get up in the morning, even before I wake up or get, let's say, I, not before I wake up, but before I get out of bed, is I do two things. I check email, which like every normal person does, and then the next thing I do is I go to news just to understand what's going on. And, you know, maybe it was something that wasn't that important, let's say, five years ago, 
But, you know, every day I wake up and there's something new in the political scenarios that are going on out there or our relationship with China, our relationship with Russia. And that really frames what could be happening, you know, when I arrive in the office that day. And we have offices um, throughout the world here. And so there could be an impact in China or Russia um, or to our businesses um, throughout the world. So those are two habits I keep today. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? I think, you know, and I was thinking about this to try to figure out what was the one that's most impactful. And I go back to those Jim Collins books, of Great by Choice or Good to Great. And I'm just a big believer in that concept of you want to have the right people on the bus. And you can assess whether you have the right people on the bus. They don't necessarily need to be in the right seat. You can move them around later. But I found those books just incredibly helpful, highlighted. And um, I was just looking at it the other day, looking for some flags of things that reminded me what to uh, think about. Um, as my career progresses. Okay. So up to our final question already. Um, we want you to look forward now and tell us about the next 12 months. And as a finance leader, what are your priorities? So it's, a, it's an interesting question based on where we are. So we announced uh, an acquisition by On Semiconductor about four weeks ago. Um, so that the Merger should close, say, is dated like four to six months, so sometime in the second half of 2019. So for me, there's the whole process of integration and, and how we get um, us as part of a larger company, which I've done in the past. But then there's personally on the other side of this, what do I want to do next? And there's a lot of you know, in the background soul searching of what are opportunities, what do I want to do? Um, and so that's how I look forward to, let's say, the next 12 months and beyond. So a little unique in the situation we're in today. Sean Sobers, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.